You know, we take ourselves out of the game before we can even get started, not knowing that if we just take that next step in the dark and that next step in the dark and that next step in the dark, mm-hmm. eventually we're going to be the light in the dark that is completely obliterated the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's who we have to be. Like, we have to understand that we are we have been clouded for a long time. We've been we've been the the truth behind our power has been hidden from us from a long time. Mm-hmm. So now it's about us owning that power, owning that information and saying, you know what? I can do this. I know it's hard. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Damn, I'm going to struggle. I can do this mm-hmm. and then do it. This is the 40 Lessons Podcast. My name is Todd B. Waldo. Thank you for checking out 40 Lessons as we continue another season of conversations with some friends and colleagues. And I am excited that right here at my kitchen table, Karan Tall came on over. He is a fire lieutenant, city of Richmond. And it was fun just to sit at the table, talk about our life, talk about our family, uh, And I'm excited to share this conversation with you. We go all the way back to his journey from Guyana all the way here to Richmond uh, through New York. And uh, I'm excited to share this with you. Stay tuned after that conversation because I want to talk to you about the Brothers and Sisters Combined Professional Firefighters Organization and share a little bit with you about that after this conversation with Karan right here on the 40 Lessons Podcast. We are here in Churchill, back at my kitchen table um i'm gonna say that my neighbor walked over because you like literally you, out the back door. you literally are over there all the time out the back door um karan is here brother thank you for doing this oh, my coming pleasure, over man. to the house absolutely um i was trying to remember there are oftentimes when i sit down and do this with people i try to think well how do we meet i have no clue i have no earthly idea how i met you do you remember? I do remember. You do. So the first time was at United. It was when Adam, that's who we it was, met. It was when Adam was planning the church, and he had wow. like that interest meeting over on Midlothian. And that's he was who we like, met. He and, like, um, hey, this is my other black friend. <laughs> 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 and I was like, he's like, you two are really good. Y'all should meet each other. And I was so like, we never, as much as you do in the East End, and as much as you do in the city, our paths never, never crossed. We were probably in the same rooms. Indeed. Didn't know it. Indeed. Uh, shout out to Adam Martino. Indeed. United, Church, United Church, doing good things over in Forest Hill. Absolutely. So that's how we met. And that was over um, Celebration. Celebration Church. It was a meeting. Yeah. 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 Like the old rock or I, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's what it's called. Yeah. Like Celebration. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, he was uh, having some interest meetings yeah. to help him develop United. And uh, we, we met Adam, my, my wife and I met Adam um, at a mutual friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey. I'm starting the church. It's over in Forest Hill. You guys live over there. We do too. Come check us out. Yeah. We were like, all right, cool. Yeah. But and the Martinez are amazing people, yeah. man. So um, we were more than happy to go and check them out, support, and it developed into great relationships and friendships. And yeah. now we continue to go there. So we, cool. we really appreciate that. That's cool. I've known them most of my time in Richmond. I've known them. Okay. Uh, so that goes back to um, Comchat days. That's where that's where we met. So that's that's an old relationship. Um, we are, we are, we both cheer for the same football team. We also have that in common, which means we suffer greatly season after season. Greatly, we are. Are all of your teams New York teams? Um, so we're Giants, so we cheer for the Giants. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Giants football. fan. Um, 
fortunately and unfortunately. <laughs> um, so more or less. Um, so I grew I grew up in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn for a period of time. Yeah. Um, and I got into football. Funny, oddly enough, I didn't get into football until I moved to Virginia. Um, and okay. it was like 95, 96. It was like when Madden 95 came out. And yeah. I was playing with Emmett Smith, and I was like, "Oh man, Dallas Cowboys, everything." Then I realized everybody liked the Cowboys, <laughs> so I was like, mm, nope. "Let me go ahead and explore some stuff." And then I learned about Lawrence Taylor, and I learned about yeah. the history of the Giants, and I was like, "All right, that feels more like home, more natural." Their their vibe is definitely my vibe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more or less. Um, now I really only keep up with football. The mm-hmm. Knicks, the Knicks were my team. Early '90s, growing up in Brooklyn, in the early '90s. Yeah. The Knicks were everything at the time. So yeah. yeah uh, I definitely say I lean more towards New York sports, New York entertainment, all those kind of things. So you're so born, like born in Brooklyn? No. Not born in Brooklyn? Not born in Brooklyn. Okay. All right. So I was born in Georgetown, Guyana, South America, oh. 1982. Okay. Um, most people know about Guyana. It's on the Northeast coast of South America. Most yeah. people know about it because of Jim Jones and that whole yeah. crazy situation. Yeah. Um, I moved to New York in 88, pretty much um, right at the height of what people con- consider the crack epidemic yeah. in Bedford-Stuyvesant, in Brooklyn. Um, grew up in Bed-Stuy, lived there until I was about 13. Saw a lot of crazy things. It really formed a lot of who I am yeah. in that period. So you were in Bedford-Stuyvesant when the live was fun. Yeah. K to the fullest. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. We have, there's got to be at least one reference in every episode. The Biggie. So, absolutely. So we got we to shout Biggie out. Shout out. Um, so you move in and it's... it's and, and so I'm in... Jersey at mm-hmm. this point, okay. um, outside of New York, and so and I got family still in Queens and all that, so you would visit. But it is it is violent. It is the view of, of black men in particular. Um, we are we are a threat. Indeed, um, we are being stopped. Uh, we are being frisked. We are being arrested. Indeed, but we are also doing some bad stuff. Like we're also participating in behavior that's not good for our community. So it's both sides. We're products of our environment, though. You know, we we're, absolutely we're are. absolutely we products absolutely of our environment. Are. So I, I really do um, appreciate my experiences in Brooklyn because how long well, were you, how long were you in Brooklyn? Um, so from the time I was five until I was thirteen, I lived there full time, and then every summer after that, I would go back throughout high school. Yeah. Um, but I appreciated that so much because I have I have nine uncles on my dad's side. So to see them and their experiences and the things mm-hmm. that they went through and the, their intentionality about keeping me out of it yeah. um, while still having to go through and live that life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I literally remember, um, had to be about 12 years old, 11 years old. I was in middle school. I just started junior high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you remember the Lost Boys video of Renee. Mm-hmm. Um, they were shooting that video um, right in um, Fort Greene, yeah. right where I went to middle school in Fort Greene. Yeah. And um, I went to uh, junior high school 113. And I literally remember walking out of school one day and these guys rolled up in a car. I'm literally 11, 12 years old. Jeez. And they're like, yo, little man, come, come holler me for a second. They pull out a brick of coke <laughs> and was like, look, we can tell you, help teach you how to make some money with this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, to me, I'm like, are you stupid? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not my life. You yeah. know what I mean? But that was Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? That was like, yo, you can really learn the streets one way or the other if you wanted to or not mm-hmm. my uncles were intentional about me not being that way they yeah. were like yo we did we do that so you don't have to you mm-hmm. know what i mean and that was their entire motto um for the period of time that i grew up around them yeah um and then when uh when my mom was like yep we pulling shocks like yeah. this ain't this ain't our life um something happened i think i got into a fight or something stupid yeah. and she was like this is not our are life are you the first person bella did you get a fight and then your auntie told you to move to bella uh, i wish <laughs> i wish that was my story <laughs> I wish that was my story. It was more like my mom's was like, yo, uh, 
Brooklyn ain't it for you, man. Yeah. Like, we going to go ahead and, and make sure we save your life. And my mom had a friend down here um, in Richmond. So my family's, like I said, my family's Guyanese. And yeah. her best friend um, was neighbors with her in Guyana. So hmm. when our families immigrated, their family immigrated here. Okay. We moved to Brooklyn yeah. uh, or to New York and we spread. So um, they maintained their relationship. And my mom was like, yeah. She came to visit for like a weekend and was like, Richmond's it. <laughs> yeah. And but then but that next summer we were down here, man. So that's so that's this is still the late eighties, early nineties? That was ninety six. Okay. We moved here like the summer ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere right. around there. So Richmond is I guess it's Richmond's past murder capital at that point. Right, right. Still not about well, Churchill still had his challenges, of course, but Richmond as a whole was coming out of that. Right of that season. So at the time, I didn't know anything about Richmond. I didn't know anything about Virginia. Like we sure. moved, and we actually moved to to Western Henrico. We lived off of uh, Parham Road, mm -hmm. and I moved down here, and I was like, "This place is cupcake. Like <laughs> this is not Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like this is not what we used to." Yeah. And uh, as I grew to learn the areas, I grew to learn the the community around here. I was like, you know, hood is hood wherever you are. Sure. Like people go through. Um, challenges wherever they are and mm -hmm. it's just a matter of who you are and what's inside of you that's going to allow you to to participate in or overcome those yeah. situations and circumstances that you encounter you're these nine men these are uncles mm -hmm. right so this is this is your first picture of being uh a man being a black man indeed uh and where so you have your uncles where's your dad as you're as you're navigating through Forming life, beginning life, as you're coming from a guy in over here to Brooklyn. So I always talk about my dad as my greatest inspiration and my greatest bane, if that's the best word to yeah. use. Um, so my dad, when I was younger, you know, he, my parents had me in their 20s. My dad was 24. Mm. My mom was like 21. Mm -hmm. But this is Guyana. So it's a, it's a different thing. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it, they're used to this kind of thing. It's like 21, you're probably old having kids over there. Mm -hmm. Um and my dad was always involved. Like I was, so when we moved to America, mm -hmm. my mom and I lived with my dad's family, my aunt in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Like we all lived, like we were just communal living. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, my dad was also a Guyanese man. He's young. He's you know in a new place, and mm -hmm. you know their relationship just didn't work out. Um, so after a period of time, my mom was just like, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and leave this circum this situation. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go, we moved to East New York in a different part of Brooklyn, and. Um, my dad and I's relationship just wasn't there. You know, he was at the time when I was younger, he was always active in my mm -hmm. life to an extent, but it was more like family being active. Everybody's around taking care of each other. Sure. Um, but he was, you know, he was a young man grinding, trying to figure out his life. So he was partying, drinking, enjoying, you know, the, the mm -hmm. fruits of his labor. And it was not, um, it, the relationship just wasn't really there like that, you know, yeah. and him and my mom's relationship was very tumultuous. You know? And, that taught me a lot about manhood. That taught me a lot about you know mm -hmm. striving and surviving and and what's important to me in terms of protecting and providing for the women in my life and um, understanding what a man should do and shouldn't do. Yeah. So when I was younger, my dad was really like that guy. Like my my family party, they hung out, they had a good time. But my mm -hmm. dad really was, um, for lack of a better word, he was a terror. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Like yeah. it was hard. Um, but conversely. As I grew up and mm -hmm. as we re-engaged, when we left New York in 96, um, I didn't have contact with him the entire time I was in high school, probably until like right before I graduated, like mm -hmm. right before I graduated high school. My mom reached out to him and was like, 
you need to come get your son because he's over here messing up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. She was like, you need to go ahead and, 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 and do what you need to do. So he and I started to re-engage, and mm -hmm. I realized that in that five or six-year period, he completely changed as a person. Really? You know what I mean? Like completely turned around. Um, and my dad was always one who was one for education and achievement, but he was also one who was there for partying and, and mm -hmm. enjoying his life. So when he and I started to re-engage, we had to rebuild trust. We had to rebuild a relationship. We had to re and it was different at that point because it was no more I'm your son. It was you're a man, I'm a man. Mm -hmm. Let's have these real conversations. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And he told me that some of the things that he experienced with my mom and why you know, things went the way that they went. And yeah. he... And once again, my dad is like really my greatest inspiration because he's now that person that, and as a grown man, I can say I still have a lot of pain and anxiety and things that happen that I witnessed from him and mom. Mm -hmm. And he would be like, yo, it's all good. Talk about it. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be mad, be mad. Be mad, talk, talk about it. Cuss me out. Get it all out. Yeah. And let's move on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, I'm genuinely appreciative of that because it allows me to be who I am unapologetically. Yeah. There was, I, I realized um, that the one thing that I miss is the kind of conversation you can have with a dad. Yeah. Now yeah. there are men and I'm, I'm very blessed that I've had and still do. I have these good men that are in my lives. My, you know, absolutely. my, you know, stepfather's a good man. Um, the, the grandfather to my, you know, my, to my daughter, he's a good man. Like there are these good, I got mentors. Like I got good men around me. Indeed. But they're not my dad. Indeed. Right. Indeed. And he's gone. Right. Indeed. And the things that you miss when you can't have a father, son, a dad, son kind of conversation. Indeed. <clears throat> you were able to find that, right? As a growing into your adulthood, growing Indeed. into your man at a really critical time. Absolutely. Um, I think our, our first experiences of manhood are critical. And so you had those nine men and then you had a space. When you were here, when you were wilding out and doing your thing, mm -hmm. Were there, was it just mom and like, were there men around trying to pull the coattails a little bit or that, or that was really absent from your? Not at all. So it was, so it was always something I was looking for. And I think my mom knew that. So when my mom shifted from New York, she was in a relationship yeah. um, with a guy and. Watching my mom's date is horrible. So I never had to see that though. Oh, like, really? I never had to see my mom date. My, so I like I'm 37 years old in my entire life. My mom that I know of, you know what I'm saying? That yeah. I know of, she's only been with three men, four, yeah. four men in my entire life. One is my dad. Yeah. The second would be the one I consider my stepdad. Yeah. And their relationship was always cool, but he was never really engaged. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know why until like I was older. My mom was like, yeah, you told him you're not my daddy. You can't do nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You are not my dad. Right. Yeah. But you know, but their relationship ended, didn't end up well, going well. Yeah. And after that, my mom just kind of you know went into her own world. She's like, mm -hmm. I got a son. I'm going to take care of my son. I'm going to provide for my son. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time looking for that fatherly relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a neighbor um, for a very long time, man. Was I was probably 14, 15, 16, and we were tight. I mean, he was a grown man, like yeah. 40 years old, but we were tight. He taught me everything I thought I needed to know about being a young man at that time. You know, he mm -hmm. taught me how to get out and hustle, how to take care of myself, how to present myself, how to talk to women. You know what I mean? How to, yeah. how to engage in those relationships. A lot of it was um, misinformed. But it didn't, you know, I didn't know that at the time. At 16, 17 years old, you're just trying to figure out how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um, it was helpful. And it was even more helpful was when my dad, my, my biological father, did come back around. He embraced all that. And he was like, yo, thank y'all for imparting mm -hmm. to my son what it is that you did. Mm -hmm. Because they helped me find self-confidence. They helped me figure out how to look at myself a little bit and how to... Um, how to be a man. I mean, how to be, for, for what I knew it to be at the time. You yeah. know what I mean? And then he picked up the reins and was like, look, I know what they taught you. I, and this is cool. Yeah. But 
this is how we handle business. This you is know? real. This, this is really this is really happening. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it, it even even with my dad, I think our relationship really shifted even more so and got even closer when I had my daughter. Yeah. Um, I had my daughter when I was 20 years old, and yeah. I rem- I will never forget the day I called him and was like, "Yo, yeah, I got a young lady pregnant." The first thing he said was, "Are you effing serious?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next thing he said was, "Well, you know what you got to do." Mm-hmm. And he's been. Number one support ever since. Yeah, I was gonna ask. So you have um, the the women in your life. You have you have wife. You have daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this experience of learning to be a man, living with your mom, um, and getting reconnected to that. All of these things flow into you being the kind of husband that you are, Absolutely. and kind of dad that you are Absolutely. to your to your girls. Um, Twenty years old. I can't imagine. Like I know what I was doing at twenty. <laughs> I couldn't imagine um, when you saw your girl. Changed my life, dog. Yeah, doesn't it though? Facts. It's just it's everything. Changed my that life. first time you see him. The very first. So I was so I was there the whole time. I actually recorded the whole thing, like yeah. her being born. Yeah. And she did not open her eyes until she laid hands on her daddy. Wow. And that. That's beautiful. That moment right there. Man, yeah. I'm about to, I'm about to cry. <laughs> but real, the reality is that moment yeah. changed my life. And even to this day, I mean, my daughter's 16 years old. And to this day, every time I look at her, I'm like, you are the reason. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And I, I have a 10 year old and they're both like, they're two amazing young women, man. Yeah. I have no idea how I got so blessed. <laughs> like, no how, idea. How do you, how do you take this, this huge responsibility to take care of these three women? Um, and and be the that's that I bet you that's your wife calling. That's actually my mom. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Usually when we're together, your wife is calling you, asking you to do something. That's true. That's real. <laughs> but she's all right. That's she cool. knew. She was like, "Hey, I know you're doing this thing, and I'm I'm proud of you. Knock it out. Tell Todd I said hi. <laughs> hey, what's up? Hey, mama. My apologies. Um, you have a risky, hard job. And I'm 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 minimalizing it so much, even using those words. But I I don't have it. I don't have the thing in me mm-hmm. that you have. You run into danger. You take care of people at their most vulnerable, and you put your life on the line every day. Every day you go to work, you put your life on the line. Indeed. Um. So for those who don't know, Karan work he does. So you're a firefighter, right? And have been like you have been for for ten this, years. This is this is your yeah. this is your February first to be ten years. Okay, look at God. Um, and so company's right behind me, right behind my house here in State Church Hill. Yeah. Uh, but that's what you do. So how I can't imagine that career and your girls and your wife. Like, how do you balance those two and keep them like Daddy's good, Daddy's okay? Like, how do you grind? <laughs> <laughs> that is the only way I can explain it, bro. Yeah. Like so. Here's what's real, man. I got into firefighting completely by accident. Really? Completely by accident. Um, it wasn't until I was probably a couple years in that I looked back and I was like, yo, I remember saying when I was a kid I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, but in New York, like, you don't see black. At least at that time, you didn't see black firefighters. So I had no idea. I literally lived across the street from a firehouse and never went inside one time. Hmm. Um, so the balance came or getting into firefighting came completely by luck. A good friend of mine was like, hey, there's an opportunity that exists. I was a Marine before this. And he was like, you already mm. went to Iraq twice. So this can't be but so hard. Man, I'm not going into any burning buildings. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, who does that? Yeah. Um, but I went and got some information about it, and it and it 
I actually, honestly got into it because I wanted to balance my life. So at the mm-hmm. time that I, I learned about the opportunity, I was working part-time doing security, mm-hmm. full-time doing customer service at uh, Wells Fargo, Wachovia, mm-hmm. and part-time doing marketing for a publishing company. So I'm working three jobs. I have two daughters, and I was um, engaged at the time to mm-hmm. my youngest daughter's mom. And she was just always saying, hey, we don't have time. You're never here. You're always mm-hmm. working. I go to this interest meeting, and the guy was like, we work 10 days a month, 24-hour shifts, but they're, but then you have 21 days off the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I can really do something with that and be able to be home more and still provide. Mm-hmm. So I went through the process and you know, showed up, and there were 3,000 people in line. 3,000 people. And I was like, oh, I just messed up because I, I walked off another job trying to get this one. But yeah. my life has always been the story that God puts you where he wants you to be when he wants you to be there. And mm-hmm. if it's yours, it's always going to be yours. Yeah. So in doing all that, I initially started this career to balance my life. Luckily, my youngest daughter was, she wasn't even one yet. She was mm-hmm. just turning one when I graduated the academy. My oldest daughter was seven. So they were all both very, very young, mm-hmm. and they were just, they just adapted to my lifestyle. Yeah. And when I, when I finally did get married, my wife, working in public safety, kind of mm-hmm. understood what it takes. So she has been my balancing force since then, you know, yeah. I mean, since getting into, um, the lifestyle that we are in now. And now that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fire lieutenant, so I'm, I'm a leader in our department. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is um, is demanding. Yeah. So to so the, the balance comes in my schedule. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at work. But when I'm at home, I really do take time now to spend time with them and to get them, and to make sure that I'm going to my daughter's school or going to have lunch with them mm-hmm. or my wife and I are going on a date night so that they know that although I do all this work and I am available to all these people, I'm specifically and specially there. That's good. That's really good. Well, my, my girl's 12, mm-hmm. so you, you have full-on teenager. Teenager. All the way. All the way. <laughs> All the way. Um, and I'm guessing that's, that's challenging a little bit to have a teenage, beautiful young queen that you're raising. Um, what is she teaching you? Like, how, how is she helping you grow? Oh, she- <laughs> so what's actually funny is on the way here this morning, yeah. I dropped her off at school, and I was like, so what can I not say about you? And she was like, uh, well, I was like, all right, I'm just going to talk about how you helped me grow. Because mm. I genuinely, I would not be who I am if it was not for the fact that I had her when I was 20 years old. Yeah. Because in having her at 20 years old, I had to do something. Like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be that kid that was sitting on the couch or chilling. Like, I had to do something to make sure that she always had food, always had a mm-hmm. place to go, always had a home. So now, and where I, as I grow in my career, and she grows as a teen and as a young woman, mm-hmm. they're synonymous in growth. So, um, for example, in the last year, last three years or so, she's mm-hmm. starting to develop into who she is. She goes to open high school. And yeah. then her going open, she, her her mind shifted from middle school to high school so much that I was not prepared for it. Like wow. the things that she was exposed to, the conversations she's having, the friends that she has, yeah. her individual um, decisions on who she wants to be and where she wants to be. 
those things I was not prepared for because I knew I knew who my daughter was. My mm-hmm. daughter's been a straight A student her whole life. She wanted to be a dentist. So we're putting her in programs. She plays soccer. She's great at soccer. So we're putting her on teams and on fields. And, you know, we're being the parents that we're supposed to be to help her be who she wants to be. Then she gets to high school and it is different. <laughs> <laughs> it is different, man. I remember like the first week of high school, she came home and she was like, yeah, this girl said my, my butt was cute. And I was like, how do we have that conversation? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say to that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, um, but it, it, it's taught me so much, man. It's yeah. taught me how to how to be um, how to be accepting of of everything that she is, whether yeah. it's what I believe it's what, what what I expected it to be or not. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's taught me how to communicate better. It's taught me how to listen more. It's taught mm-hmm. me how to um, how to allow her to grow in her own space and yeah. just insulate her from as much as I can, knowing that. At some point in life, she's going to be exposed to what the world has to offer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I take all that and I transition that to my career. I take all that because then there's things at work. You know, I'm Guyanese. I'm from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I'm a Marine. I will cuss you out in a hot second. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is true. Yes, he will. Like, this is like, what are you, like you're dumb. What are you doing? You know what I mean? But, um, but in, in in leadership, you know what I mean? You have to be able to accept people for who they are. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to to take their story and help them figure out how to grow themselves regardless of what their story is. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always understand that until I had a teenage daughter. And I will always say, man, like parenthood is, for me, the greatest educator. You know what I mean? Like, I, I my educational path is different for most people. Mm-hmm. My experiences are different for most people. Um, but my daughter and raising her and, and, and going through the things that I've had to with her, mm-hmm. her mom or my mom or my wife and, I, and all of our challenges are different. Mm-hmm. But all those experiences have allowed me to be a very, um, I believe a very strong leader and a very, and a very strong man and a very strong father. Yeah. What, what I appreciate about you is that you, you've allowed life to teach you. Indeed. <clears throat> we, we don't, you know, bad things happen to everybody. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes those bad things can teach us. But I think we have to choose that, right? We Absolutely. have to choose to, to discover the brokenness we have, to heal from that. Absolutely. We have to choose to forgive. We got to choose to be patient and learn. Like, we got to choose all that. Absolutely. And I think you do. I think you, you've chosen over and over again to take really hard things and we learn from them. And I, I absolutely agree. And it... it you don't, you know, you're not born with that. You know, you're not born understanding that everything is a choice. A lot of times we think that mm-hmm. things happen to us. And, you know, I can't believe that this person cheated on me. I can't believe that I, that person got my job. Or, nah, bro, it's you. Mm-hmm. There's a book by Brian Tracy. I read when I was in Iraq, man. Iraq, you know, people say you have a pilgrimage in your life. Like, there's a period of life where you transition from. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, Iraq was that for me. Yeah. Um, I was in a room, and I have four brothers, five brothers who. They're all amazing dudes, man. And every last one of them taught me something about myself. I mean, mm-hmm. And it was only God's grace that all of us ended up six black dudes in, in the middle of Iraq in one bedroom. Hmm. And we were all teaching each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? But one of my brothers, his name is Alan Short. He brought he was very deep into personal development. So mm-hmm. he introduced me to um, a guy called Jim Rohn and a guy called Brian Tracy. Um, Brian Tracy had wrote, written this book called Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And... More than any other book that I can ever think of, mm-hmm. that one impacted my, my thought process because mm-hmm. it, it forced me to say, you know what, regardless of what my life looks like, this was my choice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, I had my daughter when I was 20. Nobody told me, hey, every, well, correction, everybody told me, you know, 
this is how you protect yourself from mm-hmm. that. Nobody told me not to. Mm-hmm. So then when you accept that and you're like, you know what, that was my decision. Yeah. Everything that comes with it is mine. Mm-hmm. When you accept, you know, your wife, this is everything that comes with that is mine. And as soon as you choose to do that, you empower yourself to be able to overcome whatever challenges come with it because mm-hmm. now it's no longer what somebody else did it's all right what am i going to do about this yeah. and that's exactly how i've been living my life and that's i think that's been what most people will say is, is successful you yeah. know what i mean um i don't necessarily view myself as successful yet because there's a lot of things i still want to accomplish mm-hmm. but comparatively to where i could be yeah. i'm i am far 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 more blessed than um i've expected to be at this time would you when you think about where you could work um is the East End like the best fit for you? Like this, how long have you been at this station? Because um, you've been doing this for 10 years. How long have you been yeah, here? Yeah, I've been over here since December of 2015. Okay. Um, is this, does this fit you? Like, I, I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. So I've seen, I feel like I've grown with the East End. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand it. So growing up here in Rico, and then mo- I moved to the city um, probably around 2014 or 2015. Mm hmm. And I didn't really fully appreciate what the city had to offer. Yeah. Um, and then when I got promoted and I moved over here, I was like, man, like every, in the fire department, Station 11 was like the place you wanted to be because mm. they're, you know, it has the best reputation. Um, the district is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, before it was growing, it was just a lot of things happening here. You know, I mean, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of um, economic disadvantagement. Mm-hmm. But in the fire service, you're able to help people. You're able to, to, mm-hmm. to show up and, and do things for them. So um, I was blessed to be able to be stationed there as my first station. And then to get to know the community, to get to know the people, and to understand mm-hmm. the leadership, like the Dr. Newbill and all yeah. the things that she's doing and all the, the, the things that have come in, it's really I felt like I've gotten a chance to grow with the community, and mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it over here. You, you've, you've emerged as, as one of the leaders in the East End. Uh, and I appreciate that. No, you have. Like, I, I think you know, something as simple, it may seem simple, but something as simple as going to a district meeting and reminding people about how they can be safe and to say, like, come here. Like, we're here. Our doors are open. Uh, and then sometimes you guys are proactive. Like, you guys go around and you go see people. That kind of leadership and availability is important to build trust in people. Indeed. Because um, again, when you show up, it's a vulnerable moment. Absolutely. And they got to trust that you come in. And we're going to do what we're supposed and to do. And we're going to do what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. Um, but that isn't where it stopped. Like you, <clears throat> you, you've extended your work. Like this is not all that you do. Like you found other places to kind of give back and to serve and to do. What, what do you hope for like East End, Richmond, what do you think this place could be? If you were, if you imagine us building on this horrible history, some really good stuff, some super dope black people in Richmond doing really dope things. Indeed. How do we build on that to pursue a future? What does that look like? Hmm, that's a huge question. Um, for me, it's taking ownership, man. Like, so a lot of times historically, we as African Americans, we were like, oh man, that we can't attain that, or mm-hmm. you know, that's somebody else's thing to have. The one thing I love about Richmond um, and East End specifically is that everything is attainable. You know, mm. I mean, everything is right there at your hands. Do you want it or not? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that the the way we're growing, the way the community is growing, everyone has the opportunity and the ability to, to get in if you choose to take the steps and, and take ownership of it and say, you know what? Yes, there's these people coming in from here. These people coming in from there. There's educational opportunities presenting itself. There's housing opportunities presenting itself. What part of that is mine? And I'm going to go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is available to everyone in the East End. I think that's available to everyone in Richmond. Yeah. Richmond is, is a place that has a low 
barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. And most people don't recognize that because when you're here and you're in these depressed conditions, you feel like it's not, it's very difficult to achieve. Yeah. But no, nah, man, the East End is growing in, in leaps and bounds, yeah. leaps and bounds. Um, so where do I see it going? I see the, the community growing. I see the community shifting and um, us as a whole taking advantage. You know, we mm-hmm. have the ability to, to now grow wealth. I literally was talking to a young lady right before I came here and mm-hmm. she was saying, you know, her family's been in this community for generations. She has friends in this community for generations. One of mm-hmm. her friends, his grandmother had a house here, completely paid off. Mm-hmm. He sold it to a developer for 30000 and now he's living somewhere else. Yeah. She took that same opportunity she had with her dad. Her dad had a house paid off. She moved in, sold her house, moved into his paid off house, mm-hmm. and she's going to build generational wealth for her and her son. Yeah. We can do that. You yeah. know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, those opportunities weren't available to us. Yeah. You know, East End Richmond is one of those places where that redlining really impacted for um, the last 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. That's shifting. Take, take control of what's yours. Understand yeah. that your property is yours. Understand what that means and learn what that means. How do you, how do you get the tax advantages of that that other people are trying to take advantage of? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And use that to build wealth and change your generations going forward. Yeah. We, have, we have the ability to do that. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a little bit of like learn the game, learn how it's played. Facts. Um, but also, there is, there, is, there is the reality of the inequity and the racism these racist ideas, these practices, these mm-hmm. policies that still exist. Absolutely. But it's also know who you are. Like there's something to reinforcing the greatness within us. Absolutely. The potential within us. Absolutely. The ability within us and saying, no, you, you just as any other person. Absolutely. You have a right to, you can do, if you choose to, you can do this. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. You're, you're, you're starting off at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. but that does not mean that it's impossible. Yeah. Jay says, you know, difficult takes a day, impossible takes a week. Mm-hmm. Take that week to learn what you got to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it is that. Like, I found, and this reference has come back to me over and over again in the last couple of weeks. As a people, we generally take ourselves out the game. Mm-hmm. You know, we take ourselves out the game before we can even get started. Not knowing that if we just take that next step in the dark, and that next step in the dark, and that next step in the dark, mm-hmm. eventually we're going to be the light in the dark that is completely obliterated the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's who we have to be. Like, we have to understand that we are, we have been clouded for a long time. We've been, we've been, the, the truth behind our power has been hidden from us from a long time. Mm-hmm. So now it's about us owning that power, owning that information and saying, you know what? I can do this. I know it's hard. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Damn, I'm going to struggle. I can do this mm-hmm. and then do it. You yeah. know what I mean? That's been one of my personal struggles, man. Mm-hmm. Like, just understanding that. My challenges are my challenges, but yeah. it makes me who I am. You know? how, how important is the is the, is the team around you as you as you pursue that? That is like everything. how how vital is that? That is everything, man. Everything. Your team. So having a strong team mm-hmm. is always going to be vital. It's always going to. Ha- you need to have those people who can see your flaws. You need to have those people who are willing to show you your flaws, mm-hmm. and then you have those people who can who can work in the spaces where you are not strong. So mm-hmm. your your team is everything, man. My my team, starting with my wife, is amazing, yeah. bro. Amazing, man. Like, if I can only tell you how much I've grown in the seven years we've been together, yeah. like, I mean, it's obvious. You know what I mean? Like, my life was completely different before she was a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, finding mentors like yourself, you mm-hmm. know, what I mean, people who I, I'm really proud to be, to be associated with, I can say that guy is moving in a way that I want to move. What is he doing differently than me? And then being able to have that conversation mm-hmm. and adjusting and adapting and then taking that same, those same lessons and imparting them on other people mm-hmm. and being a part of somebody else's team also. Yeah. 
That's good. That's good. That's right. I, I think the I appreciate the relationships that I have with folks in Richmond. Um, there are they're just phenomenal people doing some really. Dope. I'm in awe of who they are and what they do. And, Indeed. Um, I also know my lane. Like mm-hmm. I, I know like I'm think I'm learning this more, but like this is this is my stuff. That's your stuff. Facts. Right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna cheerlead for you and wish you well. And if I can throw some stuff your way, cool. But this is my lane. Indeed. You know. Uh, and I just want to know my lane well and perform well within my within my lane. What do you think your lane is? Like in this in this city, in this work, like what do you think is your your lane, your spot? So I'm actually still working to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was explaining to you before I came in, I'm in a period of fasting, trying to learn and trying to mm-hmm. clarify what my lane is. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I was with Urban League. I yeah. was you know, doing all kind of volunteering, that kind of thing. Um, what I find is that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a connector of people. Yeah. You know I mean, I love being able to take the things that, that I know and the people that I know and being able to help somebody else get to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in my department, I found that there are things that being in the East End have allowed me to do. I'm allowed to, I'm able to see different sides mm-hmm. of life. We have church in Churchill, we have Mosby, Creighton, Fairfield, Wickham, mm-hmm. um, all these places that people consider desolate or, you know, disparate. Mm-hmm. And then we have left to M Street. <laughs> <laughs> all the other stuff. Yeah. All the other stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're able to connect with all different types of people. Yeah. And when you're able to show someone, hey, you are good and you are who you are and you're okay in who you are. They are okay in who they are. And you can connect, create those conversations. Mm-hmm. Then great things happen. You know what yeah. I mean? I met um, Norm Gold, the president over mm-hmm. at the market, yeah. working at the station. Yeah. And he was like, hey, man, I just need help connecting with people. So I, people that I met. And it's created jobs. It's created opportunities. Yeah. And that showed me, man, like I really can be um, a game changer just in and I've always struggled trying to find my thing. Mm-hmm. What is my thing? I'm, I'm not a basketball player. Mm-hmm. I'm not a musician. Like I am a I'm a lover of people and, yeah. and a creator of people. So that lane for me is really just taking the blessings that God has given me and helping me to help people get to where they need to be. Yeah. Um, you you personify for me um, your wonderful example of I call it just doing stuff. Uh, and. And I'd say that simply because I, I had to explain to my daughter mm-hmm. what philanthropy is. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's, it's doing stuff for other people. And, and that's what you do. Now, you decided and you chose, so a place like Mosby, a place like Creighton, that's good community and good people, and they have been pushed aside. Indeed. They have been loved well and cared for well and under-resourced. Um, so many things have happened, but they're good people. Great people. Wonderful Great. people. And you see that. Indeed. And so you speak to them with respect and with, and you show pride in who they are. You show love and concern. And then you bring resources that you connect them. That's doing stuff. Right. You know? and, and sometimes we, we forget how important the high fives, the hugs, the daps. I, I see you. Hey, man. It, just treating them with that kind of level of respect. Indeed. And love Indeed. and reminding them, man, there's greatness in you, dude. Like you, you know, you know you're gonna be somebody. You know, like those little things that you do. Bro, there's so many people that did that for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So many people that did that for me. Like, I can't even express how grateful I am for um so late last year, Sergeant Major Cecil McNair passed away. I don't know if you guys saw it on TV, but mm-hmm. um he was my ROTC teacher. Mm. Um the one the the first black man um 
in my life to say, no, <laughs> no, you're not going, mm. you're not going to be that person. This, mm-hmm. You're going to do, you're going to bring your ass to school. You're going to show up. You're going to mm-hmm. do this work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I didn't realize then how impactful that was. Yeah. Uh, but it, his, his relationship with me forced me, not forced me, but gave me the courage to go into the Marine Corps. And that, that choice to go into the Marine Corps grew me substantially yeah. it exposed me substantially um so who am i to not look at a kid in church hill and say bro you can be whatever you want to be this is your choice mm-hmm. you know what i mean if you're going to hang out perfect example last summer we were hanging out um in front of the station mm-hmm. three kids walk by and they're like hey um we are looking to do some work you know to make a little bit extra change mm-hmm. whatever the case is how old are y'all 10 9 11 what Mm. And you out here trying to cut crap. What? Who am mm-hmm. I not to tell those kids they can't be great? Because mm-hmm. at 10 years old, I won't think about that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to play Legos at 10 years old. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so um, I hold, I feel like there's a true responsibility for that. I mean, mm-hmm. when I when we're on the truck and they see me sitting in the front seat, and there's a lot of there's a lot of firefighters who are still in this community. Two blocks over, you know, one of the original nine firefighters is on 30th Street. Hmm. He, he sees me sitting in the front seat. And he's like, my struggle, my sacrifice, the things that I went through was so that you can be where you are. Mm-hmm. Who am I not yeah. to give back to this community? You know what I mean? Like, I'm nobody owes me anything. I owe it all, man. Um, I'm a member of the uh, Brothers and Sisters Combined. It's our International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. One mm-hmm. of my models is all I am, I owe. And I truly feel that way. Like, I, I live that to, to my core because yeah. I would not be who I am without those that poured into me. So yeah. I owe everything that I am back to somebody else. Yeah. All I am, I owe is a perfect way to end this conversation. That is beautiful. And Poetic. I will take that with me. Thank you, man. Thank you, bro. Thanks for, thanks for coming over. I appreciate some time. That Jumping on the podcast, dude. Appreciate that. that this is crazy, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Thanks again to Karan for coming over and sitting down and talking with me here on the 40 Lessons Podcast. Every episode, we highlight some nonprofit or organization doing some really good work here in Richmond. And today we are highlighting the Brothers and Sisters Combined Professional Firefighters. Founded in 1973, this organization is focused on promoting great habits and community service. You can learn more about them, learn more about what it means to be a firefighter and the support that is there in the community that is there. They're on Facebook, so go find them on Facebook. You can go to their Weebly website, B-S-C-P-F-F. Weebly.com, and you can learn more information about the Brothers and Sisters Combined Professional Firefighters Organization. As always, I really hope that as you listen to this, that you are taking care of yourself. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what season you're in, do your best. Take care of yourself. Find people to help you. Go to a place if you need some help to take care of yourself, but please do that. And let's make sure that we are doing our best as well to take care of each other. There's so many things going on in life. We need to do our best. If you think of someone, reach out to them, check on them, make sure they're doing okay. All right. Thank you for listening to the 40 Lessons Podcast. We will be back next week. Another episode, another conversation for you. So come on through next Tuesday right here on the 40 Lessons Podcast. Podcast.